Welcome back to CFO Weekly, where we're talking with financial leaders about how to build efficiency in their teams, create time for strategy, and ultimately get results with your host, Megan Weiss. Let's jump right in. Today, my guest is Sarah Dickens-Boja. Sarah joined Topolti in 2018 as CFO. In this role, she is responsible for global finance, global accounting, and the legal organization at Topolti, in addition to related areas like fundraising, investor relations, and Topolti's financial infrastructure to scale globally. Prior to Topolti, Sarah was a director at KKR Capstone, the portfolio operations arm of the private equity firm KKR where she was a director at the firm and worked with portfolio companies in the financial services, technology, and retail sectors, including First Data Corporation, a global merchant processor in the B2B payment space. Prior to joining KKR, Sarah worked at Bain & Company in Boston and Sydney. She holds a BA from Williams College in both mathematics and economics, and an MBA from Stanford University Graduate School of Business. Sarah, thank you so much for being my guest today. Thanks, Megan. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, today we're going to be learning about you and your journey, but we'll also get to learn about your current organization, Topolti, which is bringing scale and efficiency to business with their end-to-end payables automation. And I'm really looking forward to learning more about that and you. So let's get started. Great. First, let's start with you. If you could just tell us about your career and how it is you got to where you are today. Yeah, thanks so much for the question. And I took a a little bit of a different route into the CFO role, which may resonate with some of the listeners to this podcast. But I came to the CFO role via a more of a consulting and private equity background than from a finance, uh, than a focus in a finance career. So if I start way back about 20 years ago when I was finishing up undergrad, I was looking for my first kind of real job. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but what I knew I loved doing was just working on new and challenging problems and then just loved kind of learning new things. And so I heard about this career path to go into management consulting and it allowed me to keep learning new skills and to work with really talented peers. And it just felt like a great opportunity. And so I ended up at Bain & Company. I stayed for about four years and worked across all sorts of industries across all sorts of geographies and really just broadened my experience. And then after I attended business school at Stanford, I found myself sort of at a similar juncture. I had summered at one of the large tech companies, but I really wasn't sure if that was going to be my thing. And I really enjoyed this idea of getting into private equity, but also getting into the portfolio operations side of private equity and getting to work with the portfolio companies of... And I ended up at KKR of the firm and getting to work again on a diverse set of problems challenges. I would be doing marketing stuff one day, maybe M&A the next day, working with the management teams of our portfolio companies on a various sets of initiatives. And it really was taking that consulting background and kind of putting it on steroids because now I was really embedded in these companies and working on really tactical things. And I spent 8 years there at KKR and really enjoyed my time and spent a lot of time on payments and fintech and ultimately decided at one point in my career that I wanted to move from kind of this consulting and portfolio operations type of role, even though I was really embedded in these companies, to kind of choose one company to ultimately dedicate myself to that and to watch it grow and be part of the growth. And that was around the time when I started talking to the founder of Topalti, had a meet about the CFO role. And there's just a lot of great things that were kind of coming together for me around it being in the payment space it being a CFO role, which naturally has the ability to kind of 
touch in a lot of different areas because kind of pulling together budgets and plans and fundraising and everything else means you kind of need to be a jack of all trades in some respects. And so it just was a really good fit for me at the time of where I was in my career. And ultimately has been a really exciting time for the last four years here as I've been CFO at Tapalti. Yeah, what an amazing career you've had and an educational background. And management consulting is, yeah, an exciting place to start a career because you do get to touch on a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. So as you look back, are there stories or turning points in your career where you can really point to and say, that's what made a difference and got me to where I am today? It's a really interesting question. And I think the thing that probably stands that makes my kind of 20-year career across consulting, private equity, now at Tefalti, and sort of a little break for graduate school in the middle there is is actually probably the lack of moves, not the moves themselves. (laughs) It's something I joke about with some of my friends from business school in particular, like being now almost 12 years out from that experience and having had really only two jobs since then is actually pretty rare. Mm-hmm. And so I think for me, and, and I've given this feedback and advice to some of the people that I mentor as they're thinking about their career is I think for me, and what has really been true is that at these companies I've been at for quite a while, I end up getting to work on really exciting projects. I get to take on more leadership responsibility or more accountability for outcomes. And I get to do it because people know me well and because they get to know me over time. And so my career has accelerated, not because I've jumped around, but because I've stayed and built really deep and trusting relationships with people so that they want to champion my career and growth and allowed me to do things that, you know, at times put me kind of what I, over your skis, if you will, I think is the saying, but has also let me kind of grow and have really interesting career opportunities throughout my career. And I think that's not, I think the CFO role at Tapalti has been even a clear example of that because when I joined Tapalti, the company was only 100 people. And the CFO job at an 100 person company is very different than the CFO job at a thousand person company, which is where we are today, just almost three and a half years later. And so for me, every six to 12 months, I find that if I were to write my job description, my job description has changed dramatically. And Sometimes it's full functions that are being changed underneath me. Sometimes it's more of a gradual change, but it's really allowed me to kind of have a diverse set of experiences, even while staying in the same companies. And kind of this act of maybe like replanting yourself every six to 12 months and being kind of mindful around like what you need to do differently for this next phase of growth for your company has been really dynamic for me. It's been really interesting to think about kind of how much growth I've had even while staying put, if you will. Yeah, that's really interesting perspective. So Tapalti, how old is (laughs) Tapalti? Yeah, so Tapalti was started in 2010. So I guess we're we're 12, we're in our preteens, I guess, (laughs) as a company. It I would say that the business itself really started growing in like 2015, 2016 as we started getting our first real large customers. So we've probably been more well-known in the last five years of the company's history. But we started, yeah, 12 years ago with our founder and CEO, who's still the founder and CEO, Hannah Meet. And he was kind of employee number one. And he jokes that the second year of the company, he hired one person. So there was employee number <laughs> two. The company doubled in size. But uh, it's been around for a while. And that's one of the things in the space that we're in is 
it does take a long time to build the type of product and feature functionality that really makes it robust in the space. And happy to talk more about the company as well. But also it takes time to build banking partnerships and money transmission licenses and get kind of establish yourself with all the regulators. And so it does take quite a while. And so what you see in this space is actually a handful of companies that have been around for 10, 15, 20 years, really leading the technology here because of just, frankly, it's a more complicated space. And so it does take more time to fully build a product to address the needs. So let's talk about what it is that Tipulti does. I mean, being in the accounting field, I've heard of it, but let's dive into a little detail. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds great. So Topalti in a nutshell is sort of the leading payables automation software solution for mid-market companies. And so we provide a software platform to help finance teams manage and automate all of their traditional account payable spend or their global partner payments. And we automate and streamline this activity across 190 countries and 120 different currencies. So we really can handle kind of anything a company could need as far as being able to help them with their global supplier onboarding to tax and compliance across all these countries. We collect invoices, do invoice capture, and we digitize those invoices. So there's no more manual paperwork being done by accounting professionals. We are the platform routes the approvals using machine learning. And so again, there's sort of a digitization of a process that otherwise might happen over email or fax or some less than ideal platform. And then on the back end, we process those payments for a licensed money transmitter. We reconcile both the payments and the invoice data back into a company's accounting system, so their ERP. And that's sort of the full range of the product. We also use, we also have a procurement module. So it helps with kind of budgeting the purchasing process and ensuring that you know there's controls over procurement so that you don't like from a finance team perspective. Those of us that have been in the space can definitely point to times in which we receive an invoice and we weren't even aware that someone in the company decided to purchase a product or a service. And so uh, there's also procurement modules in place that help to put more controls around the buying process and behavior internally to a company. But really, it's about taking a, a lot of manual processes, which is what accounts payable has been traditionally forever and making them into an automated process that digitizes um, you know, all factors of the process and reduces risks and frankly saves a lot of time for folks that are in the accounting department so that they can focus their time on tasks that are much more value added and that they might enjoy more than processing manual invoices. Yeah, I know for years, people were like almost afraid of automation, that it was going to take away jobs. But I would argue that it does the stuff that nobody really wants to do anyway. <laughs> the stuff that takes the longest and nobody really loves doing. Yeah. When we speak to like when I speak to my peers that are prospects or customers of ours, the thing that always resonates with me is that I think a modern tech stack for the office of the CFO is gonna be about helping your team have a better work experience and essentially elevating some roles that historically may have been really manual and very maybe even mundane. And you put a tool in place that allows that work to be done in 20% of the time. And then you allow people to go work on the things that they want to be spending time on that are more value-added, that are more strategic in nature, that that they might enjoy doing more. And so I think that a modern tech stack for any leader making sure that your team has the tools to be successful at their job is a crucial part of leadership. And so I see in the office of CFO that 
frankly, this department has lagged behind a lot of the other departments in automating their technology stack. And at Palti, this is what we like to do. And just curious, does it integrate with any ERP? It does, yes. So we have a number of really strong partnerships with accounting software providers. So NetSuite, as an example, is a really strong partner of ours, Intact and Sage, Microsoft, QuickBooks, etc. We have integrations currently with about 50 different ERPs, which it's a fragmented space, but that's quite a number. And we do find new ones sort of all the time where we have customers who have new ones. And so we are able to build out custom integrations and template integrations for new ones as they come about. But with the set of 50 or so that we have today, it covers off probably 80 to 90% of the market. And how does your product differ from the competitions? Yeah. So we really focus on the mid-market. And we define that as being kind of employee sizes, about 100 employees or more. That's for our traditional accounts payable process. And in that space, we are really focused on making sure that the finance team is saving time, reducing risk, and having an improved experience as they process all of the accounts payable. What that means is that we really focus our efforts on things like supplier onboarding and making sure vendors can actually do some of the work for the accounting teams and and onboarding into the platform providing their banking information. It's the approvals routing, it's the reconciliation to the ERP, and then it's this global network of payment rails that include 190 countries and 120 currencies. I would say the biggest differentiation points between us and, you know, quote unquote, the competition is around our ability to do cross-border and global very, very well and kind of very differentiated in that regard. It's in our integrations with the ERP and on the software that we kind of use to do that integration. It's the combination of having both procurement and invoice processing and and payment and AP all on the same platform. So you really have like a one-stop shop for that. That's really kind of some of the areas that are focused on. But the thing I really think about in this space is the vast majority of companies haven't yet automated their AP. They might have some tools that they're using that automates sort of one sliver of the process. But the end-to-end automation is really only done by a handful of companies today. And Topalti is a leader in that space. And so for a lot of companies, this isn't a place they have yet invested time to implement. And so most of the time when we're in conversations to sell the product, we're spending time actually educating these finance leaders over how much a product like Chipalti can save them time, uh, reduce risk, and frankly, make their employees on their team much happier with their roles. And it's a small cost to pay to do all of that because frankly, it saves you tons of time and tons of money by implementing these types of automation services. And again, I'm just curious, but what percentage of the mid-market do you think has automated and AP? I think right now, and, and there's been a bunch of research done by some of the like kind of external research reports looking at the handful of companies like Topalti that do this. But in the mid-market, I'm seeing reports that say less than 5% of wow. companies have automated their full AP. I would have thought it would have been a lot higher than that. I'm surprised to find that it's that low. Yeah, it would match with a lot of the data we see because so many of our prospects and, and customers that sign with us we know that those deals are not competitive. Oftentimes, customers say that they couldn't find someone that could satisfy their requirements other than Topalti, which is always a nice thing for someone to say. But it's a space that's really emerging. And I like to think about like where accounts payable and business payables are broadly. 
is almost where like e-commerce was 10 years ago. And so if you think about the growth as people were digitizing payments in and e-commerce was becoming more and more of these e-commerce platforms becoming more and more of an obvious starting point, that's where I see B2B payments going. You still have almost 70% of B2B payments are made with a paper check. And so you can't digitize or automate you know, a paper check. It has to be received by someone. It has to be sent by someone. It has to be imported into their, put into their banking system. Whereas electronification of payments saves all this time and money and makes cross-border seamless. So there's still so much room for automation and payments, electronification of payments in the B2B space. And we're really just touching the first inning of this growth. Yeah, sounds like it. So as you look back in the last four years with Tipulti, what are your proudest achievements since joining that company? Yeah, it's been really rewarding to be part of the growth at Tipulti over the last four years and to see so many changes as we've grown from about 100 employees when I joined to kind of 250 the next year and then continued growth from there. I get a lot of energy out of being a power user of our own product. I think it's really special and important for companies to like to use their own tools and to yeah. use their own product. And so for me, I really enjoy becoming that kind of voice of the customer, my team becoming the voice of the customer internal to quality because we end up using every product. And most of the time we kind of guinea pig all of the product enhancements and features um, before they're out for you know the general public. And so I really like being an early user of our own products. I love talking to our customers and prospects about it. Um, I love building my peer network of CFOs, both because I always gain something from one of those conversations in some aspect, not even about digitizing payments, but just about questions that we all have about how can we be better at this role. And I find that that's been a really fun thing to do. But for me, I think becoming getting to know the product so well and being that voice of the customer for the product internally has been a really fun thing and something I didn't expect I would enjoy as much when I decided to join a company as CFO that sells to CFOs. So it was sort of an exciting thing that I hadn't thought very much about before joining. Yeah, that's really cool. I'm not sure many CFOs can say that. (laughs) So you previously spent eight years as a senior operating executive where you were known for asking tough questions. So how has that experience helped you in your first CFO role here at Tipalti? Yeah. So I think being an operating partner at like a private equity firm is, is a very challenging job. I have a lot of respect to my colleagues that are still at my prior employer, but also with the folks that do private equity ops, you know, across a lot of firms. And I think the thing is, is that you take that role and you come in and, and you are expected to deliver on results, but you're delivering on results by partnering with management team and working with them on what are their goals what do they need to achieve them? And how can you kind of help be an accelerator around those projects or initiatives? And you can help kind of help move it along and help add bandwidth and resources to those projects. And I think when you approach it that way, it can be a really fun, exciting job and build great relationships there. I think at the same time, it's not lost on people that if you're working in a private equity firm, like your peers are on the board of that company. And there is this control environment in private equity in particular because they're typically majority control situations. I think this experience really helped me to think about how to work cross-functionally with lots of different people working in that had lots of different goals. 
I spent a lot of time with groups like finance and marketing and operations and product and the companies I worked with. And so getting to sort of see a diverse set of challenges because each of those departments' goals and outcomes are different. And I think it also gave me a lot of experience in breaking down like very challenging, large problems into very manageable, discrete type of analysis or tasks so that you could gain alignment around those things. And so kind of how do you frame a problem? How do you think about managing the various work streams to get the something done? And so I think a lot of ways CFOs have to almost do that on a daily basis. It's not as obvious as a in a consulting firm or in a PE ops role where you're really taking on that kind of project management layer and breaking down problems into smaller discrete tasks. But in a lot of ways, CFOs function by needing to manage through others, needing to understand broadly how the business is performing. Where are we spending money? What are the key KPIs in every department? How do I know if things are going well? How do I know if I can increase my investment in that area or cut costs in that area? And so I think that my experience from consulting and from private operations sort of gave me that broader lens. And I like to think that I try to kind of bring that with me into the CFO role as I spend time, frankly, with all of my peers. And you know, we're all working together to make the company more successful. Yeah, I think that's a good segue to the next question on the evolution of the CFO. But on LinkedIn, you said that the age of the modern CFO is here. So how do you think that the role of the CFO has evolved? And what does the modern CFO look like? Yeah, absolutely. I really think that you know, the CFO tech stack. So what are you using as your technology solutions to help you manage the business and drive insights are is incredibly important. And I do think that the strongest CFOs will focus on building out that tech stack based on whatever stage of growth they're in or industry that they're in that is going to be suitable to ensure that they have that solid access to data. And they've also automated as much of the manual tasks as possible. And so I think a lot of the tasks of CFO are really table stakes. It's like you obviously have to be able to close the books on time. You need to be consistent with reporting. You need to be five steps ahead on what the capital needs are for the business from a fundraising perspective. So those are all like frankly table stakes. But when I talk about the modern CFO and as we talk about it internally at Depalty, because it's the, those modern CFOs that are the best champions for our product and who we'd like to try to reach. And it could just be, you know, the modern controller, the modern VP of finance it doesn't have to be a CFO, but that that person who's really thinking about how do I use software to be a force multiplier for my organization and get to better outcomes and be able to retain retain my team. Those are the folks who I see excelling and just like the CFO job has become more and more complicated. And so if you're not using the best available tools to really organize the department and organize the data correctly, you're going to miss things. And so I think that that's really important for CFOs to think about is that tech stack and investing in it. And let's just delve into some details around the benefits of automating payables. Can you put some numbers to it? Like how much faster can a company close or how much time can be saved? Yeah. I mean, there's tons of different ways of thinking about payables automation and happy to discuss those. I can also broaden that to just general automation. But certainly when we work with our customers, we ask them like after implementation, after they've been on Topalti for a couple of months, we'll ask them, okay, well, how is the process going? Where are you seeing time saving and the like? And when someone goes from a purely manual 
AP process to a process using Tefalti, you can get closed down or, or at least the clo- the AP portion of closed down almost 80% of the way. And AP is typically the longest item in the closed cycle. So, you know, at Tefalti, we close AP by day two, two and a half or so. So like, that's really a fast <laughs> process. Yeah. And we wouldn't be there if we weren't using Tefalti, obviously, as part of our process. So there's a ton of time savings involved and just getting to the data faster, but also just, you know, then you don't have people on your team working on this for the first two weeks of the month if you had a longer close process. I think that the broader benefits of automation, and this could be true if you have AR automation, or even like if you're with a best-in-class cloud ERP tool, or you're using automation and equity management or an FP name budgeting tools. I mean, there's like a whole host of it. We use a really great product for our close management that I think saves us a ton of time. So there's like the tech stack is obviously broader than Tapalti, but I think there's a lot of commonalities in when people think about, here's my tech stack and I'm going to really look at all the pieces of it and make sure that all the big elements of it I've automated. It comes down to really reducing time bringing together data in the right way is to make better and informed decisions. And that's a big part of it. Tapalti adds a flavor of that around cash management, as an example, and cash forecasting on the AP side, which is a, it's a byproduct of having a good automated AP process is that you can look ahead 30 days in the future and see exactly when all your invoices are due. And so have an understanding on cash management and cash forecasting. But that's a byproduct. That data is a byproduct of a tool and system that is itself valuable just by saving time on the manual financial operations. But obviously the the data byproduct of it is also valuable. And I think you see that in a lot of areas that as you start to put tools in place to automate and to streamline the various activities in the CFO kind of world, you'll find that you can then bring the data together in a much more seamless fashion and you can then get to better insights. And ultimately the outcome for the CFO office is to have the best insights that they can about how the business is performing and what levers you can pull to improve business performance. And I think that's the ultimate like byproduct out of all of this investment in the CFO tech stack is getting to that place in time. So you touched on this a bit with maybe your automation of month-end close process, but like as a technology company, what tools other than Topoldi are you guys using that's helping to make your lives easier? Yeah, so we have uh, so we use NetSuite for our for our ERP and, and really like the product. We use mm-hmm. a product called Flowcast for close management. We have an equity management tool. We have a tax management tool. We obviously have Topalti for all of our AP, and also we use it for FX and for hedging and for a ton of other activities, cash management, a, a few other activities as well, um, and procurement. And we use our our embedded procurement tool inside Topalti for all of our procurement activities. And so that's probably the core set now. We've got a couple, no company's perfect. And there's like two areas that we're investing this year. One is around our FP&A budgeting tools to revamp that and step that up to the scale that we need to be at now. And the other is around our revenue automation tools. So there's definitely areas every year that we look at the tech stack and we either say, okay, are we missing a tool for this need? Or have we grown out of or are growing out of the tool we have in place? And that's the case for those two. And those are our priorities for 2022 to continue to modernize our tech stack. And other than those two areas, as you look out into the future, what are what are the biggest challenges that you're seeing right now on the horizon for you or maybe CFOs in general? 
just on technology or in just generally? I guess just generally. Yeah. I mean, I think that any CFO that's not taking a good hard look right now of their capital position and where they're, if they need to fundraise, like how they think about fundraising either equity or debt, and if they are profitable, how to think about shoring that up and cutting costs where they might be able to, given like the interest rate and inflation environments that are being seen. I think those are really important things. And it's frankly the stuff that probably keeps most CFOs up at night. You know, we did a big fundraising at the end of 2021. And so we're very well capitalized. So I see us as being in a position of strength to invest during this time of perhaps market challenge. But that's really important for every company to really be thinking about where they're going to fundraise next from if they need it. And so if I take my CFO peer groups that list servers that I'm on, I would say that this type of question is one of the ones that is asked a lot, which is, you know, what are people thinking about fundraising and you know, how are they handling the disruptions in the public equities markets and interest rates? Yeah. So speaking of that, what is your strategy for raising funds at Topolte? So generally, our strategy in the last few rounds has been to raise money before we need it. I think it's a very common um, common fundraising strategy. and But by doing so, we've been able to be really selective with which investors and types of funds that we work with so that we can assure that from our vision and, and strategy perspective, there's alignment with them and where, with our stage of growth. And so that's been something that's important to the broader group of those of us at Palti who've been part of our most recent fundraising. I think in today's environment, the conversation that is on lots of finance leaders' mind is if they were expecting to raise in 2022, which again, we uh, raised in 2021 earlier. So we are, we're not expecting to do equity fundraising in 2022. But if you were, the market's very different right now. And they may need to change their strategy or think about alternative types of structures in order to in order to be successful now. And you saw the sort of the same thing happening in early 2020 with COVID, where equity markets in particular and even debt markets really closed up for a few months. And so for private company fundraising, people went and had to get bridge loans or other things like that from their bridge rounds from their current investors just because there was this unexpected uncertainty that happened and, and people were caught off guard on it, obviously, because no one really expected COVID to happen. I think you're seeing a lot more of that now, but I think a lot of people did raise in 2021 and sort of shored that up, expecting there to be something in 2022. So hopefully folks are finding that they are in a better space right now. And lastly, what advice do you have for CFOs who are looking to drive strategic value within their organization? Yeah. So I think that for me, at the end of the day, especially they, we talk about this modern CFO approach and the modern CFO isn't just doing the stuff that's table stakes. It's doing working with peers. It's, it's getting the best data. It's automating systems so that you have the right processes in place. And it's therefore being able to really access that, those insights that help you drive revenue, you know, reduce costs, invest better in the business. And I really do think that that starts from the tools that you're using in your tech stack. And so sort of reiterate the points from before, but if you're not choosing the right tools, if you're not choosing the tools that are going to scale with your business, so not just for today, but for two to three years from now, then you're going to be at a place where you're having a headache to resolve again in 12 to 18 months. And so 
when I talk to my peers about how they're thinking about certain tool implementations, it's always around, okay, well, what are the features and functionality I need now? But also I have more of a crystal ball than everyone else does because I can see the 12 months from now or 18 months from now, let me make sure that the product that I'm choosing now is going to work in the future. So if I know that we're just a US-based company, but we're about to start opening entities in Canada, or we're going to start letting people work from wherever they want to in a remote work environment, and we're going to now have expenses in all these foreign countries, well, I now need to be having a solution that's going to allow me to manage a much more global vendor base. And that's an example of what we see at Zipalti, where we have that, that need to manage global vendor bases is becoming much more of a need that companies are experiencing earlier in their life cycle because there's just a generally a world with less borders. And so, and so you're seeing that happen a lot more. But yeah, so I guess my advice for CFOs is really to focus on their tech stack and don't like hold back funding for their own tech stack and, <laughs> and only give funding to the other departments. And but then also like be think very carefully about when and which tools are the right ones to implement at the right time. And ideally only do it once or only do it once every five or seven years, but really choose a tool that's going to last for a long time so that once you get through that implementation, you can move on and do other things and not have to come back and look at that decision for a while. What a great answer. Sarah, thank you so much for being my guest today. Yeah, thank you so much, Megan, for having me. Yeah, I really enjoyed speaking with you and hearing about your experiences. I wish you and Pulte all the best. It sounds like you're both doing great things. So to all of our listeners, please tune in next week. And until then, take care. If you're ready to boost efficiency and streamline your accounting processes at significant cost savings, it's time to talk with Personiv. Their people-powered solutions have transformed the delivery of back office tasks and general accounting functions for decades, partnering with clients to provide everything from accounts payable to payroll services. See what Personiv can do for you by visiting personiv.com. You've been listening to CFO Weekly presented by Personiv. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to hear all of our episodes. Want to learn more? Check out personiv.com. Thanks for listening.